when you see people making paradigm shifts, making these leaps of like, whoa, how do they do that? They went from here to here. Holy crap, what was going on there? That's because they started with the B. Yeah. So you walk into that room, not in an arrogant way, in an egoless way of, I am here to serve you. I'm here to yep. not be your friend because that's too much. Just Maybe too that is a nice, Maybe that's a nice offshoot later, but that's not the goal. You're here to serve them. You're here to get at every need underneath, to know their needs better than they do. You that's go right. in with that attitude of, I have so much right. value to add to this person. That's your secret weapon because your competitors aren't going to do that. Welcome to Captivate the Room with your host, internationally known voice expert, Tracy Goodwin. An award-winning speaker who has taught hundreds around the globe to make a big impact with their voice. This podcast is for anyone who wants to step onto a bigger stage, make a bigger impact, and have a voice that makes people listen. Presentation matters, and the voice is the missing link. Join in and you'll see why. Welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you with me today as always. I've got a great episode for you today. I've got a great guest. Al McBride is with me today. I was recently on his podcast. You may have heard that episode. Great conversation. I really love it when I meet people and there's so much synchronicity, so much complimentary teaching. And by the end of that conversation, I said to myself and then ultimately to Al, You've got to come on my show. I know my audience would love to hear from you. Let me tell you a little bit about him. This is a conversation you're not going to want to miss and really will be valuable no matter who you are, where you work, what you do. Alistair McBride is a coach, facilitator, and trainer for over 10 years who has started numerous small businesses since he was 21 years old. He's a regular guest lecturer and facilitator at multiple universities in Ireland on topics such as cognitive behavioral coaching, entrepreneurship, and innovation. He coaches executives and business owners across an array of industries, including software, law, aviation, telecom, and corporate finance, to name a few. Over the past few years, he's been giving his clients the psychological edge in negotiation and helping them perform under pressure and uncover hidden value in every deal. He's the creator of the Goliath Negotiation Method and the author of the book, Dealing with Goliath, The Psychological Edge in Negotiation for Business Owners. He also runs a podcast of the same name. I think you're going to find this conversation fascinating. So let's head on over to the show. Al, welcome to the show. So happy to have you with me today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on, Tracy. Well, you know, I was so delighted to be on your podcast and I knew who you were, but I did not know how much overlap and synchronicity there was in our work until I had that opportunity to have that conversation with you. And I thought, oh my gosh, 
I have got to have you on the show because I know the listeners, it's similar, but different, but so complimentary. So I, I was really excited about having you come on and talk about your work with my listeners that I, I know they're going to love to hear from you. So normally I start with, tell us who you are and what you do, but I want to add one question to that for you, who you are, what you do, and where did you come up with the name? Why did you choose that name for your podcast? Okay, there's a few things to, to do with that. <laughs> so first of all, yeah, no, I'm very glad to, to be back talking with you again, because as you said in our previous conversation, uh, it, it was it was excellent. And I thought there was so much more to explore. So very glad to talk with you again. Um, the uh, little background upon my, about myself, I'm a communication and negotiation consultant, trainer and coach. So with that means that I'm often working with small business owners, working with corporate executives, with uh, lawyers, uh, all of these people who, who, as I would say, have skin in the game. So if they do very well, they reap the benefits. If they do less well, they feel the pain. And with that in mind, they're usually up against people that a third party would say are in the stronger position. They probably would as well, but maybe not necessarily. But it's often these David versus Goliath struggles. And they're very much the Davids of this world. So that's where, in one fashion, where the, the name Goliath came from, because it really is such a, a a perfect, you know, it is the quintessential underdog story and you know everybody loves an underdog but particularly myself and i've seen so many business owners in particular because they're feeling that pain because they're feeling that extra levels of emotional strain that they tend to settle for deals that if they were an employee of that company rather than the owner of it that they'd, they'd push back on. They'd go, that's not right. We're not taking that. Uh, because there's less skin in the game. There's less perceived potential for loss. And so, as I said, I just always feel an awful lot of these good people. It's for me, negotiation in particular, which, by the way, by in my book, is simply higher stakes communication. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, yeah, this again where our overlap comes in because so much of the voice, so much of being aware of your tone, how it's how it's with it, the intent of your tone versus how it's delivered or how it's received, uh, makes huge differences in how the message is processed by the receiver. And it's absolutely critical part of of what I do, uh, of helping. As I said, those executives, those business owners yeah. simply get more from yeah. their communications, from their negotiations. Now, as I said, I work in, you know, this is when we're doing deals across the table. They're very important. But all of these principles, you know, spill out to, you know, working with your own staff, to even your own friends and family. It's the same principles. Communication is communication. It's just, you know, people usually will pay to when it's, as I said, in this area where it really is a bit it is really is a force multiplier and by that i mean it's it always amazes me how blind people are to communication or in this case negotiation 
that they say, oh, yeah, but I talk all the time. It's fine. And I'm doing okay. So, <laughs> you know, and you think, what are you doing? Like, right. And, and I say, you know, what, what would a, what would a great negotiator do? And they go, oh, yeah, they wouldn't have settled for that thing that I'm a bit embarrassed about. Or they would have pushed back a bit more there. Or, you know, they would have got us unstuck. We seem to reach an impasse. We couldn't quite get unstuck. Or I always feel we leave a bit of value on the table or a lot of value on the table and so on and so on. And I go, well, why don't you, not even me, why don't you pick up a book, do a course? Yeah. <laughs> this is like, you move the needle 5% on this and it, it pays you for a life. It oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so, and it's the same with your work. Like you, you can communicate your intent or, or your empathy or whatever it is that you want to communicate with your counterpart, your spouse, your staff, wh- whoever, your kids, doesn't matter. That is a skill. That is something that multiplies across all of your relationships and engagements. Like that, and that compounds. So that little bit mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you might notice much of a difference, or maybe you do notice a massive difference. You might notice a little bit of a difference in a couple of meetings, a couple of interactions. But it's like a boat heading off in the ocean. Five degrees you don't notice. But over time, that becomes a, a, a gulf, a huge different destination you end up with. You know, so as I said, it always amazes me why people don't put more time and attention into communication and indeed negotiation. Yeah, well, and I literally think we could stop the episode right there because I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to. But it's mind bending how and you get it. I know you get it, but that people historically have not thought anything about it. Why would I need a voice coach? Why would I, I just talk? And so I think the tides are turning, though, a little bit. I really think that this whole emotional intelligent movement, people are really starting to see, oh, there's really something to this learning how to communicate and learning how to negotiate. There's tremendous value in learning to negotiate where before they would just go in there. Is that is that right? There's a lot of winging it. There's yeah. a, and a, uh, as I say, I have sort of two types of people okay. and I let them self-identify. And as I say, they're either they're what we call the nice but nervous, fairly self-explanatory. These are the people who really feel the stress, who really do not like negotiation. It's very unpleasant experience. They often feel they're outplayed. They feel they can be pushed around. They, they often stumble through an awful lot of their their approach, their interactions, it's deeply uncomfortable. And they basically don't like the experience, to to put it mildly. Then you have the other hand, the naturals. And I think a lot of people think, oh, you kind of, it's one of those things you either have it or you don't. No, it's a skill set. But the naturals love the tussle. They understand it's a bit of a wrestling match at times. And they love that. They're up up for the tussle, up for scrapping it out, you know. And they're usually very competent and get good results. And as I said, I work with both groups. But what's fascinating is, I mean, the 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 areas of improvement are pretty obvious for the nice but nervous, but the naturals oddly come to a similar point sooner or later because a lot of naturals, and some of these people are doing seven-figure deals, like they're very good at what they do, but what they quickly find and what they've told me over the many years is, oh, you know, uh, they're basically also winging it. I mean, they're not. They've got a plan, they've got a structure in the business math sense of the deal of what we need, what the other side probably want, yada, yada. They're not winging it in that way. 
But in any kind of emotional interaction, they're winging it. And they tend to do one major pattern and maybe have a second minor pattern. And it like it works, it works, you know, and often like, you know, the fifth time or the sixth time, or if they're really lucky, one in 10 times, it, it falls completely flat. They completely piss off and offend the other side and the whole thing goes to pot. And they don't know why. And they don't know what they did differently because they're like, I do this all the time and it normally works. And then it suddenly doesn't. And over the years, they know this is a pattern. So the point is they get stuck in this limited sets of pattern, limited ways of being mm-hmm. that often work fine for them until it doesn't. But they don't really have a plan B. And if they do, they certainly don't have a plan C. Whereas what I help them do is understand through quite a simple framework as I help the nice, the, the nice but nervous people similarly, to understand there's so many ways that you can be in an interaction. And there's so many ways and opportunities to mend an interaction that if it's going down a certain route, you don't have to keep going. You know? And yeah. weirdly enough, it's often the naturals that feel amazingly free when I work with them because they think, oh, I, I thought I had to be like this. I thought that's how one had to be in a negotiation. Usually they're hard chargers. They're quite domineering. They're trying to seize a lot of value, which is also very normal. People in zero some negotiations, which are relative, which is always a part of every negotiation, but usually a, a minority part. It's you're literally grabbing, you know, there's one pizza. And if I get three slices, you can only get three slices. You can't get more, you know. People think in a zero some way. So you're seizing value and they're very good at that because they're making strong arguments and they're really fighting their corner, which has its place most definitely. But what they're not doing is creating new value. They're not adding that new element where you're making the your interaction more than the sum of its parts. So as a mindset thing, it's what we call having a very deal maker mindset versus an implementer mindset. So again, nothing wrong with dealmaker. You know, you got to get it over the line. You got to, you know, do it, right? But not at the expense of how the thing is going to play out. And when you when you start to have an implementer mindset, an implementer uh, approach, you know, how will the thing work in practice? How is this relationship actually going to work in practice? And when you start asking those questions, like, well, well, who else needs to be consulted here? oh, we better bring in people on our side who are delivering it and people on your side who are receiving the thing, right? And suddenly there's more, you need a relationship of some description. It's not like we're selling a house, we're never going to speak to these people again. You know, some some interactions and then the minority of interactions are sort of once-off, sees the value type stuff, you know? But even then, there's space for adding value, you know? And it's that approach that can make can make, as I said, otherwise transactionary interactions far more profitable. And this this really is, you know, it's a thread that runs through this book that I've just completed called Dealing with Goliath, The Psychological Edge in Negotiation for Business Owners. And one of the themes is what makes, what's the difference between the great negotiators and the good negotiators? And it's exactly what we're talking about, that it's this pro of, how do we grow this into a much bigger thing? <laughs> you know, how do we move it from a simple transaction to something much better? Yeah. Yeah. 
you you said a couple of things in there that I want to touch on and have you mm. expand on a little bit. First of all, I love the story of David and Goliath. There was such in my mind, such a, well, of course, what's the problem in, in David's mind? There was so much in surety in him. And that was who he was being. And you right. talk about being, I want to spend a, just a touch longer on who they're, who they need to be and the mindset that supports that, because that was, there were many things that when we, when I was on your show that struck me, but that internal piece is literally what psychology of the voice is built on. Excellent. Excellent. Well, yeah, no, I can expand on that. I mean, it, so, I mean, the way, I, one of the other reasons I love the David Goliath story is that when you actually break it down, David is pushing back against assumed rules. Mm-hmm. So he strides down the mountain to face a giant and everyone's going, oh, because like not to get too much into the biblical story, I haven't read it in a while, but but it's it, it basically everyone else is like, oh, no, I'm not, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get slaughtered. And he goes, and he's not a big guy, but he's like, I, I think I got an idea. I think I can take this guy. Why? Because he eventually brings a gun to a knife fight, as I said. He is so, he's saying, I'm not playing by your rules. I'll get destroyed. Yeah. yeah. Why would I play in your back garden under your rules how you how it best suits you? Mm. Now, that, now, as I said to a lot of people, like that, I don't want to take the David and Goliath metaphor too strongly because I'm not about destroying an enemy. Yeah. If there was, if there was a better story as well known where they become friends and make shed loads of money sure. together, I much prefer that. Where yeah. he actually talks Goliath and they go off into the sunset and have a glass of wine and a chat and start a business together that becomes, you know, a world beater or something. That would be far better and more accurate to what I'm saying. Right. But, so. But to, to go back to, to what you were saying with the mindset. So what we were talking about there, the problem with a lot of the naturals is that they get into a, a zero-sum game, that it is conflict rather than a tussle, right? Mm. And they play it out like conflict. Now, in, in its good way in that they're ready to get into it and not be offended by the other side being a bit aggressive or standing their ground or being playful or whatever, because it is... I call it having a gameful mindset where, you know, if someone plays a good shot against you, say if you're playing tennis or something, you don't hate, I mean, you maybe get a little annoyed, but you, you appreciate the shot. You know, you're not yeah. like, oh my God, I can't believe you did that shot. I can't <laughs> believe you did, you know, you don't do that. You go, oh, you know, Arr. but you know, you're also acknowledging what a great shot was that, right? Because you're enjoying the game. You understand that is the game. They're meant to try and do that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But there, you also understand that there are some rules. They're not going to come over the net and hit you with the tennis racket either, right? right. So there's a context. Okay, so to, to roll back to this, as I said, an awful lot of people, and this is a problem with all sizes, that they, when there's not a, an element, when you're not primed with a certain level of openness going into that interaction, and we were talking about this earlier before we hit record, which was fascinating thing that, and it's a fascinating study that I found uh, in Harvard there a while ago, 
that, and this was a study of these diverse groups. There were thousands in the study, US MBA students, there were broad section of American adults, there were senior managers and nonprofits, there were Chinese undergrads, there were Turkish executives, there was all sorts of, so quite multicultural as well. And what they found was this, that, and this was fascinating, that 8% of each group on average believed deceptive tactics works were appropriate behavior for negotiation. So they believed like lying and basically screwing over your mm-hmm. counterpart was acceptable. Only 8%. But the same people thought the other side, what number do you think of people that would try and deceive you was more like 24%. Mm-hmm. So as you can see, people thought the through their expectation, oh, there's one in four are going to be sharp dealers and they're going to be out to get me and screw me over and all this sort of stuff. But the actual number is considerably lower. Yeah. So what that points to is that an awful lot of people are priming themselves. Um, it's good. Was he Danish or Swedish? I can't remember. A guy called Janssen did this uh, whole book all around trust. And he found that uh, deals or interactions where there's perceived high trust managed to add 33, 35% more value to that deal. And that's huge. If everybody out there is thinking, mm-hmm. well, how much you made in your last sales, how much you made in your last agreement with such and such, add a third to that. Yeah. Again, per annum. Think about that. That's what high trust is worth. And yet people, and this was this weird thing, a lot of people are, well, I'd love to be more trusting. And then they go in and then they get nervous and then they're seeing something from the other side who are also a bit nervous and suddenly... That slight openness descends into protective defensive stuff because they don't want to get screwed over. Yeah. And this is, even with professional negotiators, is very, very common. So what you're looking to do, what the great negotiators tend to do, and this is very interesting, is A, they feel it as somewhat of a game to be played. Mm -hmm. But... And some even say, like, there's a great negotiator called Roland Frazier. And as he describes it as, he goes, I don't so much negotiate, I have conversations. And he said, I want to make you my collaborator, my ally, not my adversary. Turn an adversary into an ally as soon as possible. And this is where we get into your territory, isn't it? Where, how do you do that? By being that, by showing that, by that's your intent. By turning up as someone who's halfway their friend as someone who wants them to win and both parties to win big, right? And this comes into sort of that idea of compromise versus collaboration. So like, it seems obvious, like compromise is, you know, it feels zero sum. So we just sort of, oh, we'll meet in the middle, right? As a, let's just split the difference, (laughs) this sort of attitude, right? And that makes sense when there's something of low importance, like you're at a little market, Someone says, oh, that's $10. You say, oh, do you take five and you meet it like seven or eight, right? That Because it doesn't matter. There's no point getting into, well, what is it about this that you really love? Because it's, it's right. a short, quick transaction, right? It doesn't matter. When there's something more to be gained over time, that's where collaboration is absolutely key. Because collaboration isn't just, basically, collaboration is this. It asks the question, and this is how you can do it really well. Let's say, how do both of us get as close to 100% of what we want. 
And then when you're getting really good, it's how can both of us get more than 100% of what we want? And you think, how the hell does that work? <laughs> and it works because you're both going, particularly in a relationship, you know, if you go, oh, why do, you know, America's divorce rate is what, 50% or something? And you go, how's it 50%? It's because marriage is a compromise. Whereas when you have couples that treat it more like a collaboration, how can both of us get more than 50%, more than a zero-sum game? Then you're getting into this finding ways to meet each other's needs, uh, whether it's a business transaction, whether it's within a business, whether it's, as I said, a relationship, doesn't matter. That attitude. And when you're being that, when you're bringing that approach in, then your voice is doing the same. Your your whole demeanor, hopefully, <laughs> is by starting to back that up. You know, because if if you look, this is the truth. If you give someone a script, I say it, you say it, they say it, there's a totally different meaning perceived by the listener. Right. It's not the words. It's, it's the, the words. wrapping around the words. Yeah. It's the it's the intention received around the words. Yeah. You yeah, know, that's absolutely key. And so that's when I talk about being in that state. So I am 100% behind the work you do, Tracy. But for me, it starts with the person being in the state of, I am the person who is collaborating. Now, that doesn't mean you're exposing yourself to giving away all your concessions straight away. It's still give and take. It trust, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, neither was trust. Rapport, you can build very quickly. Trust takes time. And there's a balance that you want to see. You give this, they give that. You are open about this, they're open about that, you know, and, and you're mm -hmm. building it up gradually. You know what I mean? These things can be done without falling into those traps of total naivety or vulnerability, right? Where you can be steamrolled. Yeah. That being said, as I said, if you come in with that attitude of, you know, okay, what do you want? And why do you want it? Like, and you even start that conversation going, look, I'm going to drive you crazy. And they go, what? And they go, I'm going to drive you bonkers. <laughs> because I'm going to keep asking you why and what is it about that that is important to you? And why is that important? Because I want to be able to have you leave this room with a deal that you think this is the best deal I've done all year. That's yeah. my objective. I want yeah. you to be so damn happy with it. And people are like, oh, holy crap. Okay. Right. So you see what I mean? By starting with that, they're like, wow, okay. Or yeah. where you're starting with, look, what's included, what's not? Like, what need are we trying to address here? And even half the time, the other side don't even know. Oh, we're just trying to buy this thing because we want that thing. It's like, yeah, but why? Yeah. And I have to sort of, oh, okay, I don't know. Because when you know the why, then you're able to be much more adaptable, much more versatile, how you meet that need in really creative ways. Yeah. And it's funny and shocking. I will use that a lot myself. People will say something and I will say, well, why? I mean, it's the most, it's the most power, you know, well, they're not going to, they're not going to do this or I can't do that or whatever it is. Why? We, we almost don't do that anymore. We almost don't ask that question anymore. Well, but again, it's, it's, uh, it's what I, one of the principles I use, I call think like a shrink or think like a coach, mm. but that doesn't mm -hmm. sound as nice. So I say, think like a shrink. And people go, well, how do you mean? You know? And I say, well, think about a, a therapist or a coach. The other person can be ranting at them. Mm -hmm. or or even being emotionally manipulative or trying to be in some way. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. The therapist or coach is fully present, but emotionally non-reactive. They're emotional, 
they're expressive, they're certainly empathetic, but they're not being simply reacting to the emotion that the other side is trying to elicit. So particularly a lot of negotiators or business people get into, as I said, those patterns that have worked in the past, Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. they're either slightly insulting some of them, and maybe they're not proud of it, but this happens, or they're trying particularly to diminish if buyers diminish a seller's offer. They're trying to always commoditize oh, yeah, but we have this guy down the road, he'll do it for 30% less. Mm-hmm. And you have to be ready for that. Some people take that really ins- as an insult. It's mm-hmm. not an insult. That's how they mm-hmm. roll with it, better or worse. Mm-hmm. That's how it's, a the they, it's a tactic. You have to be ready to roll with that. But you have to be ready to say, because we've worked with your company for 18 months, we've all, we went through six months of ironing out all those problems. You know, you have to be ready with the story that counteracts, that that differentiates your offer, your service, your product, whatever, in the eyes of the user or the prospect. You have to be ready for that. That's that's just natural stuff. You can't get annoyed at someone for asking an obvious question, you know, even if it's a bit rude how they ask it. Yeah. Remember, well, they're they're primed maybe to be rude because, unfortunately, it's worked for them in the past. Right. Right. Why aren't they yeah. ready, Al? Because they don't know they need to be or they don't know how to be ready? A bit of both. Mm. You know, it's part of the first section in, in my whole course, in my book, and then in the course that it, that it sort of sprung from, uh, is all about prepare. And it's not about, mm. you know, doing all the maths, you know, knowing your margins and, you know, yeah. uh, your fixed costs on this and how much profit you make on the other. And you need to know that, by the way. So when they ask for a discount on this and the discount on a similar priced item, do you go, I have a tiny wafer slim margin on that one and I have a massive margin on the other. So you know, you should know what your 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 movement on those things are, right? That's almost a given. What I'm talking about preparing is emotionally. Yeah. So what could they say that could normally knock you out? Where, where have you been knocked off balance before <laughs> like yeah a lot of this it, there's an 80 20 there's 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 a hundred things they could say to you but the 10 or 20 things will probably come up across a year's worth of three years or five years worth of negotiating you know yeah so what are those things what are your buttons you know and, and get mm-hmm. into that mm-hmm. it, you, you have to kind of like be able to roll with this stuff it's like jujitsu you know you're not quite using their power against them but you have to be able to roll with it and not have it affect you that you can you, you can yeah. use it to 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 your power. Well, I love the buttons, and and the in a split second, a voice will change. What just happened there? Well, uh, you know, they offended me, or well, they I don't believe I can do it. And you know, whatever it is, somebody punches a button, and now we're typically dealing with raw negative emotion coming out in the tone. And it's and <clears throat> they don't know that they don't know the backstory. They don't know what's going on. So that's part of the mastery really is the overcoming of those buttons or right yeah okay and you said something in a, in a previous post which i loved which and we may have spoken about it in our, in our interview before but i was reading it just there uh, earlier when i was preparing for this conversation and i loved it because you were talking about how you know a salesperson goes in there and they're otherwise quite competent but they go, oh, they'll never go for this. <laughs> they'll say no. And this expectation of no, but it's yeah. the wrong expectation of no, because like it's really valuable to expect no. Like it just mm-hmm. is. Sure. As part and parcel of the process. 
because like I, I, one of my principles, uh, just like think like a shrink, one of the other principles that's always useful is know is the beginning, not the end. Yeah. So it's the end of, so you ask your, you state your little question, they go, no. And you go, who, you know, either yeah. you're shocked and then you're, you're stumped because you thought they'd say yes to this. Not good. Or you go, oh, well, I totally knew they'd say that. Okay, next. You move on to the next yeah. item. And yeah. it's helpful in either scenario. Yeah. You know, because and you, you just, just give up. Yeah. Don't, I say, don't get mad or sad. Get curious. Curious. I love that word. And, and it's mm-hmm. easier said than done. But if you get and prime yourself with, there's going to be stuff coming up in this meeting I did not expect. Yeah. There's going to be stuff that I totally expect. Get curious about it all. Yeah. Oh, they say no. I say, oh, okay. Well, what is it about that? If you don't mind me asking. Just, you know, what is it about that doesn't quite work for you, you know? Yeah. Oh, and, and what way might it work? Just hypothetically. Uh-huh. You know, when you, under what circumstances might you be willing to accept those terms? Oh, well, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden you might be seeing bridges to. Yeah. The other thing that you'll find, and, you know, you're, you're a voice expert, but it's the similar with the content of what you're saying. Right. And it might be taken up by the the tone, changing the meaning that's made from the receiving end is that an awful lot of people misinterpret what you're saying. And I think you had a a, a post on this as well, where, you know, what was it? George Bernard Shaw said, you know, the greatest uh, misunderstanding about communication is that it's happened. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I love so that. People go, yeah. Oh, yeah. And this, like, I mean, the common lay, and it's done in a hundred comedy shows, is that you know the wife has communicated to the husband. This is the class. Like, it's so such an absolute cliche. It's up there with airline food mm-hmm. for comedy, right? Right. And why? Because like, oh, sorry, I clearly said that, and the guy was like, "What? You didn't say that. What? What the? Like, right? You don't know, need to be clearer with this part of the species. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, statements you know eight to b to c to d right yeah and it's the same way in negotiation where you're you're saying oh so as you said if they say no because it's safer to say no which people forget because oh i'm not i'm not saying yes to anything because then we're in this oh messy thing that could be expensive so instead i'll just say no and that's if i'm unclear i'll just say no because it's safer when you say oh that's really interesting you know first of all you're not getting mad with them saying no so they're like, okay, we can have a conversation. You're not mm-hmm. going to blow the top here. Good sign. Oh, I can work with this person. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And then you're getting curious and they're going, yeah, well, this part of it doesn't work for us, you know, because 10 or 20% of the time, people will discover, oh, no, that's not what I meant at all. I meant, you know, this way. And they go, oh, great. Yeah, well, then we can do that. Oh, wow. Okay. But if you weren't curious about it, you would have missed how they had misinterpreted something that you said, rightly or wrongly. Maybe you were clear and they misheard it or you yeah. were unclear. Either way, yeah. you're opening the sense to potentially directly clarify. Or, as I said, more often, at the very least, you're learning more about their needs or their perception on their own situation, yeah. their perception on your ability to help them solve that problem and you're probably there to solve. Yeah. You know? And then, uh, and that's really good, Al. I like all of that. And there's something that just rises to the top in that that I hear you saying, which is don't make it about you. Don't take it personal. It's it's a conversation. It goes back. All roads continue to lead back to this is a conversation. We put these high stakes 
even we bring in the word negotiation, all of a sudden it got higher stakes. Well, it doesn't, it's a conversation. Absolutely. And, and part of that, again, in the preparation to take a bit of the stress out of it is what is what they call your BATNA, you know, your best mm-hmm. alternative. Because we what are your other options? So you're not taking yourself hostage. Not for yeah. a lot of people, oh, if I don't seal this deal, you know, uh, you've just taken yourself hostage. You've just given yourself an ultimatum. How can you win? Yeah, You've lowered the numbers of opportunities you have to win and given the yeah. other side a distinct advantage. Because just as you said, that starts to come across, that little bit of desperation starts to come across in their voice. Other side pick up on it, whether consciously or unconsciously, subconsciously. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, advantage me. Right. We can push. I think we can push this a little bit further. We can get another little bit out of these people. We get another concession out of these people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Tone for sure. But you also look at body language and words when we were talking about this earlier before we hit record. And it reminded me of what I call mind body voice. It all needs to be connected. Talk talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I don't go into it in the level of, of depth and, and, and knowledge that, that you have that you use. But uh, the way I usually talk about it to people is it needs to be in alignment. And this is where we're saying start with be. Who are you being? Who do you mm. need to be in this situation? Do you need to be highly empathetic? Do you need to actually really be firm and hold your ground on this? Now, the point is, you know, there's nuance here, but I'm just using broad strokes by way Mm -hmm. of example. But but it's by consciously almost deciding which version of Tracy needs to turn up in this meeting. Yeah. Is it the playful one who's all creative and and open and ready to maneuver people toward a deal? Is it one that needs to stand firm against someone who's trying to steamroll them and is able to move them aside, but also bring them into the fold? Like, look, we can add value here. You don't need to be attacking me, you know. Like who needs to turn up for this interaction? And as I said, some people like, um, you know, Herman, Todd Herman, who wrote that, mm-hmm. The Alter Ego. Yeah. Right. That's the same thing. It's a, that's a license to be a different version of you in, in kind of an extreme way. It works very well for Beyonce and Selena Williams and all sorts of sports people and whatnot. But, you know, and just as a short overview, you know, I, I can talk about that, but I don't think you even need to go that far. I think you just have already experienced versions of yourself. Like you, when you put on, you know, maybe the parent hat, your one way of being, when you put on the office hat, you know, whether to your staff, you're different as you are to a prospect. And rightly so, we're different people in different roles. So it's just being aware of what role best serves you in this negotiation, in this interaction, communication. And to do that from that then flows, as we were saying earlier, the awareness that your body language, your posture, physical features, your facial expressions, your hands, the whole lot, they need to flow from that place, which then needs to most importantly, uh, particularly in the online space, align with your voice. Mm-hmm. That completely is the medium is the message, as Marshall goes or Marshall McLuhan said, which is, you know, that totally changes how that message is received. Yeah. So the voice is for me the biggest thing. And then lastly, the words you choose. You can be less smooth with your words if your tone is authentic to your whole being, you know, because then you you can say it less eloquently than you would have liked or whatever. It doesn't really matter because it's so authentic. It's so just like the people are like, what this person is saying, I totally believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm totally mm-hmm. on board. I can I can work with this person. 
But this also, by the way, is where we get that gut feeling. Where they people be like, oh, I don't know, there was there's something not right about the whole thing there, and you know, they've just had an interaction, you know, where they're like, the words that they were saying made sense, but there was just something off. Like we subconsciously, as you said, pick up yeah. on some indiscrepancy in the tone or in the posture, in the body language, or there's something off because it's yeah. not in alignment that we get. Yeah. There's maybe an alternative emotive there and we pick up on it. And you, what I love from your stuff, as you're saying from previous conversations, was that people do that by accident, which is such a shame. You're literally shooting yourself in the foot, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> because some of those fears and uh, certainties and doubts creep into the voice. And that's what derails you a bit, you know? Yeah, And this is what I say about nerves. You probably work with maybe not all clients, but it's certainly a part you work. Your work is the nervous energy, you know, yeah. and hopefully channeling that into making your biology work for you. You know, it's not yeah. excitement. It's not nerves. It's excitement. You know mm -hmm. why? Because it matters. All that sort of good stuff. But that's one of the reasons in a lot of studies why nerves are problematic. Because if someone's given a, a speech or a presentation, everybody's been nervous at some point. So we do feel for them. Right. But in a lot of studies, it's shown, unfortunately, that their credibility does drop considerably. Why? Because even if you know the person and you like the person. In the back of your head, you're going, are you just nervous because of the context and the situation or are you nervous because you don't really believe what you're saying? Right. So if you don't really believe and I have a doubt that you, that might be the case, then I don't really believe it either. That's right. That's the big detractor. That's the problem. Arms. That's the shame of it, you know? Yeah, that's the big problem because we don't know that backstory. I don't know whether you're just excited about it. I'm taking that sound at face value and receiving it a certain way. Mm -hmm. You told me about a study when before we hit record, and I was not familiar with this study, but I am I'm gonna chase it down and study it because I'm so in alignment with what I do, talking about Excellent. alignment. Talk about that study, the relationship yeah. study. This is something I saw in psychology years ago, you know, and it, it came back to me when we were talking before. And so I looked it up there uh, yesterday. And it's it's around this uh, therapist, psychologist called Dr. Gottman. And he was renowned. This is from 1994. So this has been established a long time, folks. OK, so from 1994, he had get this a 94 percent accuracy rating for accurately predicting whether a couple will be divorced. I think it was after three years yeah. of when he heard them interact. 94 percent. And you go, what? And this was from like a 30 minute interaction. Yeah. And you go, how how is that? Well, like everything, there's there's a load of different factors, but there's an 80-20 and the 20% that makes the massive amount of difference. It, there's four, but he calls, if they're present there, he calls them the four horsemen of the apocalypse oh. to a relationship. <laughs> but now, now this is for divorce. Yeah. You can think of this as boss staff, mm -hmm. a team lead, team member. You can think of this as teacher student. You can think yeah. of this even prospect as parent client, child, right? Yeah. But most of all, for what we're talking about is prospect, you know, client, prospect uh, relationships, right? Sales, potential relationships, yeah. you name it. So any interaction, there's an echo of this. So 94%. So what were the four horsemen mm -hmm. of the apocalypse? Well, there was defensiveness, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Criticism. 
Mm-hmm. Right, not a huge surprise in those two. Stonewalling, so you're just like mm-hmm. shutting down. You're not mm-hmm. even interacting. Yep. Right, but the big one that you're really listening out for is contempt. Yeah. And if contempt was present, then you're on a rocky road to divorce. It's it's a huge catalyst, or the breakdown of any relationship. And think about that. Particularly in a lot of negotiation. Even if the other side just thinks the tactics, you're not setting up an environment that creates value. Right. Because the other side, even if it's a menu, even if they know it's probably a game, people don't like to be treated in a highly disrespectful manner. They don't yeah. want their value and what they prize mm-hmm. to be completely disrespected. So it's that it's that extreme end, as we said, of rolling with that conscious of knowing there's a bit of a game where they try and commoditize what you're doing and you're offering. And they kind of expect you to clarify why you're different. And you should be, as I said, you damn well should be ready to explain why they should go with you and not somebody else. What's right. so different and special and of value about your product or your service that you're offering? But with that, they should then be able to go, okay, yeah, I hear that. Let's move on. You know, that you've established that value. It shouldn't be this constant underwriting, under valuing on or disrespecting you in particular, or your product and service. But and so the thing about the contempt is that it's it's personalized. It's about you, not the thing you do, mm-hmm. the thing you are. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's why, you know, one side gets sick of not feeling respect for the other side. Right. The contempt. Contempt is part of disgust. I mean, that's yeah, that's it. a heavy emotion. That's mm-hmm. to be on the receiving end. Mm-hmm. So both ways, and the person on the receiving end obviously quickly gets tired of feeling so disrespected that like they're not going to as as positive as you might try to be back in some of those situations mm-hmm. it's very hard after a certain amount of time to be positive to any sort of optimism about the relationship and situation and positive back yeah so you're in a very negative spiral there so the interesting and just to mention to everybody this is one of the the fascinating things about the Gottman studies were the were cross cultural ones where they actually got them to do this in languages he never even speaks. Mm-hmm. He doesn't understand a word that people are saying mm-hmm. on a recording. Mm-hmm. And from whatever it was, the 20-minute recording, he still had crazy high accuracy because he was listening for yeah. the tone mm-hmm. of contempt. Yeah. And when it was there in sufficient amounts per 20-minute block or whatever, you're you're a goner, you know? Yeah. So again, the importance of tone is totally, yeah. totally, you're, you're up your street. Tracy, yeah, despite I'm telling you, story. just validated my entire career. That story did. Totally. Right? It does, right? Yeah. But yeah. this is the thing. It's not the words. It's the tone in which you say and deliver those words. That's totally everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do think, especially in the work that you're doing in negotiation, I think that words matter, but I think I've got to be able to listen to those words, right? I mean, I need to be able to listen to them. And if you've got contempt in your voice, my subconscious is going to shut down instantly. That's my research, that if there's a raw negative sound, which contempt is in that bucket, I'm not listening to a word you say. I'm done. Then you're like, whoa, you know, I'm not working with, particularly if you as a seller have other options, you're just going to go, Forget, yeah, I'll do something else. No, I don't think it's too much. And I think that's where coaches 
And, and probably a lot of people miss it. You know, I'll hear people go, well, I'm just keeping it real. No, you're just dumping raw negative emotion to cover up a wound. Exactly. And it isn't going to fly because I'm not going to buy from you. I tell stories on my social media all the time where I wanted to spend $3,000 today. And the reason I didn't was because the man was so condescending to me that I knew I couldn't ask him a question if I ran into trouble. So I went and bought it from somebody else. Exactly. And I think we all do that. We may not all be analyzing every single moment like I am, <laughs> but but I think it plays out everywhere. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. And it it's, I mean, just to give people an example, and this is a shoddy example because it's just off the top of my head. It's like somebody saying, how do you feel about that? Are you happy with that? And the other person says, it's good. Versus, mm. it's good. Yeah. Versus, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> right? You didn't change so, the words. So, and they're very different meanings. Very you know? different. Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's not really good, but I'm saying it's good. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then it's pretty good, but I'm curious what else we can add to it or we can make this a lot totally. better. And that was just off the top of my head. And I'm a terrible actor. So, <laughs> so you know, like get a proper actor in, they'll do it 12 different ways and you'll yeah. understand the intonation, right? Because that's yeah. what actors do, right? But this is the point is that it's the same words, but the totally different meaning is received yeah. by the listener. Yeah. Now, like I had a very interesting conversation with a chap in Japan. When I was in, visiting Japan with friends a few years ago. Uh, anyway, I got talking with this guy and uh, it was executive in Japan. And I was asking, oh, you do a lot of this drinking culture stuff for doing deals because I was interested, you know. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, we get absolutely like horrendously drunk. I was like, that's so out of character with the whole yeah. etiquette and plight stuff. He goes, exactly. That's why. And I go, tell me more. And he said, I want to know. If you're over here and we're all polite and having very nice conversation, we have a nice lunch and it's all great. He said, no, 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 no. I want to know what you're like when the mask slips. Yep. He says, when you're amazingly drunk, you can't keep the mask on. So I get to see your real self. Yeah. Why? So that we have also been through this experience together, right? However yeah. horrific or joyous, that I know that I can phone you in London or in New York and you'll go, oh, Takahiro, I'm going to answer the phone. Takahiro, how are you? That we're moved beyond the economic and into the social. Yeah, we I had that. some emotional connection. And he said, we've done that because our society, as he said in Japan, has so much etiquette to, to keep a certain distance. Mm-hmm. That yeah. When we really need to actually trust someone, we have to do this quite radical thing. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than just turning up and going, hey, how's it going? You know, like. Maybe yeah. we would hope we could, you know, yeah. that's what it's about. It's the same when you do deals in the Middle East. Yeah. Like I had a friend who, who was doing these documentaries in Dubai yeah. and Emirati people are like, the Emirati, you know, the local people are like 10% of the population because there's so many expats from everywhere. Yeah. There. yeah. So they're very close knit, very quite, you know, close society as you might expect. And she's actually from Bosnia originally. I said it was a similar thing. You go in, you don't talk business. You talk about everything but business. You yeah. talk about the family. You talk about the you talk about holidays. You talk about literature. You talk about movies. You talk about everything. 
Why? Because you're establishing who you are, who they are, overlaps, understandings, cultural understandings, even if you're not from the same culture, that there's certain emotional things that you both get. Mm -hmm. Why did she get that gig? Because they were all like, you completely get us. The others were in here. They talked for half an hour about stuff. And then they were like, oh, how about a deal? And we're like, oh, no, no. too soon. We don't like or trust you yet. She came in there days and days in a row and then let them finally say so we're doing this documentary or what (laughs) yeah yes yes that is the way and that is the way way. because she was genuinely interested as well because she's like that's right this thing goes ahead yeah not only do i actually know more about your culture than that this is my research, if That's I can. Right. Anyway, That's right. you know. So yeah. she sought out the whole thing as a win, not as something oh, I have to go through. Yep. Because and you so can't she fake would, that. You can't <laughs> you fake know? it. She was vocally bought in. You know, I hear it from all my international students, or a lot of them. They'll say, what's up with y'all in the States going, hey, how's it going? You don't care how it's going. Okay, that is a vocal thing. You can tell when I really want to know, hey, Al, how's it going? Yeah, it's Versus, a different tone. How's it yeah. going? Listen, got to get uh, going here, right? It's a different tone. And so we do phone a lot of that in. People hear it like a dog smells fear. Right. You know? Very true. I love those Very stories. True. I love you just sitting here validating my research all day long, Al. Well, I love it. because it's so accurate. That's because, you yeah. know, as I said, it's a part of what I do that I think is a crucial, crucial part. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. so many people are living in this sort of doing space, which makes sense. You know, you're yeah. trying to make things happen. But what I mean it in the, it's what a great coach of mine always said is that most people are living in this do, have, be yeah. arrangement. So they're doing all the work and mm-hmm. then they're getting the credentials or that yeah. win or whatever. And only then they can say, now I'm this because it's been validated outside of yeah. myself. Which makes sense. And, and that can get you places. But it's sure. you're only incrementally moving. When you see people making paradigm shifts, making these yep. leaps of like, whoa, how do they do that? They went from here to here. Holy crap. What was going on there? That's because they started with the B. So you walk into that room, not in an arrogant way, in an egoless way of, I am here to serve you. I'm here to not be your friend because that's too much. Maybe that is a nice, maybe that's a nice offshoot later, but that's not the goal. You're here to serve them. You're here to, to get at every need underneath, to know their needs better than they do. You go in with that attitude of, I have so much value to add to this person. Mm -hmm. That's your secret weapon because your Mm -hmm. competitors aren't going to do that. Nope. Right. That's your secret weapon. And then they go, whoa, this person really is trying to. When you also do in that, you know, fiduciary responsibility Mm -hmm. from your values where you're like, I'm here to serve you, even if it costs me money. Yep. Uh, Good friend of mine, actually, I remember the first time I met him. He told me about that. And I was about his, you know, he was selling websites at the time. He was building websites. And he talked himself out of like huge money. Yeah. Because he actually was the only person that said to that client, do you actually need that? 
or do you uh, or do all your clients like pay by 90 days anyway by invoice so it's all 90 then you don't need a big e-commerce solution this was back in the day when that cost yeah, a lot of money yeah, yeah and went through yeah. all these things the guy thought he needed and yeah. he goes well you don't need that you actually need a two grand website not a 20 grand yeah. website and the guy was like you were the only person who actually dug deeper from what i was saying everyone else said oh yeah, yeah we could do that yeah we can do that they're serving yeah. the, the need you're asking. You need to go deeper. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's when you're really serving the client. And they hear that and they feel that and they go, wow, you actually have my interests kind of yeah. front and foremost at heart. I feel that. You know, that's what mm-hmm. the sort of people we want to work with. Yeah. I call that the long game. Totally. You're going to play the long game or the short game. The short game is the turn and burn like the other guys are doing. And yeah. the long game is what I'm going to teach you to do. And you want to play the long game. Absolutely. And it's the long game yeah. when you have that trust. Right. That then they're saying stuff that's just like I mentioned with the Japanese colleague chap in, in, yeah. in Tokyo. That's where they're suddenly going, where's the extra value? That's where the more of you're more the sum of the parts. Yeah. That's where the great negotiators go. Yeah. Where you're sufficiently Maybe you're still like, you know, you're perfect. If they're professional negotiators, they're looking for all the angles, right? That's sure. messing around. But you're still in this space of massive collaboration. Mm-hmm. You're in this space of like, here's some paint, here's a canvas. What can we create mm-hmm. together? You yeah. know, like, and it's like, what about, how about, how would it, how do we make, you know, and this is yeah. where you get this value add that's, as I said, so much more than the simple transaction. And think about it, you're also insulating the deal because there's more of a relationship than just a transaction. Yeah. So many clients come to me where they're going, oh, our cancellation rate is really high and blah, blah, blah. It's like, why is that? Uh, And you you quickly get to it that they they play like they're serving the client. So they're actually quite good at that. But then the honeymoon period dies away and then the others are like, the client's going, what are we, chopped liver now? Oh, and now you want to renew. Oh, no, thanks. You've kind yeah. of ignored us for the last 18 months yep. of the three-year contract. Yep. We're not feeling the love, particularly because they feel the, the drop. That's right. That's <laughs> like right. it's one thing if you're a transactionary and adequate from start to finish, then there's no change. Right. You know, right. Uh, yep. It's like so a it's, bait and switch almost. It's a little bit. Yeah. Because the, the bait was you established, oh, we're going to be really oh, cool. Oh, great. I love you. I'm going to do everything. And then it's like, who are you? Yeah. So it's that idea of, of yeah. keeping consistent and check-ins. Like if people mm-hmm. are not feeling the love that you have a chance to make it up to them before renewal time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So people leave it till that last. That's right. And then the other that's side right. are like, we've been looking at other options and, you know, we're, we're all happy to move to somebody else. And you're like, what, what just happened? Yeah. Just lost a pile of business. That was yeah. the easiest business to, the easiest business to get is the one you already have. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Should be an over. Yeah. Well, Al, this has just been delightful. I think you and I could sit and talk for hours upon hours. I think so. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure, Tracy. Thank you. We have to do, we have to have you come back. Maybe you have a regular, maybe we'll give you a regular spot where we can come back and talk about this more (laughs) because it's so aligned and it's so important the work that you're doing. And I know there's a lot of noise in people's heads around this kind of thing. So it's been just incredibly valuable to hear you talk about it. Well, I'm so glad you said, uh, look, if people want to hear more, you know, I have the dealing with Goliath podcast. I have actually another podcast in the works, which is even Mm -hmm. more specialist negotiation podcast. That'll be out, uh, 
in and around probably Thanksgiving, I'd imagine, or, or Christmas time. Okay. Um, but in the meantime, I've just completed, as I said, my book, which is the yeah. it's called Dealing with Goliath: The Psychological Edge and Negotiation for Business Owners. Uh, that'll be coming out. I'm not sure when this episode is out, but as I said, this will be the book will be coming at probably the end of September. Okay. Uh, and yeah, if you want a copy, get in touch. I said you can buy it on Amazon. You will be able to buy it on Amazon, but you can also, if you want to read a PDF, get it from my site. But please do look at the site anyway, because there'll be some free goodies and yeah. extra training and some worksheets and things like that uh, on the site to help you implement some of the principles in the book. Is there a pre-order? Do you have a pre-order going? Uh, I certainly have an interest yeah. page. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, that, good. We'll want to put that link in the show notes for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And almcbride.com slash book. And that's where, as you say, uh, if it's not out, you'll be able to ask for uh, a copy, a complimentary copy. And if it is out, you'll be able to download it and get some of those free goodies. All right. Yeah. Awesome. So thank well, you we'll so much. Yeah, we'll put all those links in the show notes. And thank you again for being with us, Al. This was just great. Love having you. Thank so much. Thank yeah, you, Tracy. Always, Cheers. always. And thank you, listeners. Always great to have you with us as well. But that's it for today. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Captivate the Room with Tracy Goodwin. You can reach out to her at CaptivateTheRoom.com and be sure to grab the voice formula a free video series that will help you start making a bigger impact with your voice today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes.